purple elephant shower thought of the day. In 1920, kids thought 100 years from now, people must have flying cars. But really, a massive worldwide network of data utilizing the processing power of billions of devices allowing complex communication across the globe is somehow more impressive. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Today's guest is the director of Health Communications Research Center, which uses state and federal health care grants to build health communication campaigns. And I may be wrong in saying this, but I think I kind of think of it as advertising for health PSAs. Um, she's also a Halloween enthusiast. She is a Mizzou alumni and a former member of all the Mizzou comedy orgs, which is how I know her, and I'm talking about Kara Lawler. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was such an introduction. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to have you on, and I feel like it's worth kind of prefacing what this episode is going to be about because the the theme of this season, season three, has been kind of entrepreneurs and freelancers and kind of just the self-starter mentality, but I think I want to get you on to kind of contrast that a little bit to talk about finding a career out of college and kind of not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and some people want to take this path of finding what you love that's a little bit more stable and still really being passionate about what you do. And I think you're a great example of that. So really quick, could you give maybe a little more in-depth summary of what it is you do at your current job and kind of how you stumbled into that. Cause I know there's a good story behind there. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. We're in for a story time. So, um, Sean did a great job introducing me. Yes. So I'm the director at health communication research center and, um, I'm, I'm kind of in the public health world in a lot of different ways at this point. Um, but my story of getting here really started in undergrad. And I think, you know, as I was preparing to come on the show today, I was thinking back on my timeline of, of what brought me to this moment. And I think it's super important to recognize that, right? When, when talking about careers, talking about any insider advice or takeaways is, is what decisions did we make that got us here? And so um, I was storytelling all throughout college. I was in MU Improv. I was in um, MU Battle Oil, which is a sketch comedy team. Um, at one point was on exec board for both. Loved it. Um, cherished it. And I think it gave me a lot of really good tools for storytelling. Um, even though at that point I was, you know, in the Mizzou journalism stratcom realm, I was able to learn public speaking. Um, I was able to operate on deadlines. I was able to um, learn how to generate ideas with a group of people. And I think that's a skill that I continue to utilize, right? And so um, I was I was doing comedy and I had a series of really uh, incredible internships that I think got me here, um, including Pickleman's, where I was um, I was a marketing intern. I, I dressed as a, a as a pickle and walked around campus in a polyester green suit. 
um, made lots of connections that way. And um, people still recognize me at times. It's, it's insane. Um, I did that. And then I, I worked at Mullen Low Los Angeles, um, working on the Acura and Burger King clients. And that's really kind of where I was introduced to um, the big agency life, uh, learned a lot of lessons while I was there, was around some of the best and brightest creators I think I've ever, I've ever will encounter. Um, and it was, it was an amazing opportunity. And so I tell you this because senior year, um, as I was kind of gearing up to graduate, I thought I was going to go the brand side. That's always what I had done, um, whether that be Pickleman's, um, you know, Acura Burger King. I had a lot of experience working with brands. Um, and so I really kind of thought that was my silo. And I was, in, you know, applying for jobs, interviewing for jobs. And um, then COVID, you know, COVID hit and then everything changed. Um, and I, man, such a long story. And so COVID hit. And at the time I was working at Mojo Ad, which is the kind of competitive student staff professional ad agency in the Missouri School of Journalism. Wow. That's our little boilerplate. And I was a researcher and I was working on an ad campaign for um, the Association, Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. And I was really close to my mentor, um, who was our like advisor, professor um, through the School of Journalism. And um, I, when I was graduating, I, you know, mentioned to him that I was, you know, looking for summer internship opportunities and, um, and you know, would, would appreciate any, any guidance and direction. And he said, why don't you, you know, how about this opportunity? Um, at Health Communication Research Center. They need a part-time person to do social media for some of their projects. And I had never heard of HCRC um, until that point. I had never heard of it. And um, it was so interesting to me because this was right when COVID was happening and kind of we were in the throes of the pandemic and public health was really becoming a buzzword. And I said, oh, this is so interesting. They work with federal and state healthcare grant projects and some amazing recognized organizations. And so I said, yeah. So I interviewed, I got it. And it was just a part-time gig um, for a while. And then they offered me the opportunity to come in as the communications director and um, kind of run the center for lack of better words and begin working um, to manage the projects um, and manage our internal team. And I said yes, and it was one of the best decisions I think I've ever made. That was yeah. a really long story, Sean. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm glad because I knew all that, but I feel like it's important to kind of state it again for everyone who's listening to this, who doesn't know yeah. that story. And I think a couple things stand out to me hearing that. Hey guys, I've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting and I finally feel comfortable to where I want to ask for your support. So in the description and in all of the descriptions following this episode, I'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck, five bucks or 10 bucks a month. Now this money is going to 
help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description, click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. The first thing that stands out is when you were in college, you were hungry to do marketing and do advertising and something like a Pickleman's internship doing their marketing doesn't seem like something that gets blasted around the school trying to find people. It seems like something you might have sought out for kind of a two-part question. What was kind of the experience of finding those opportunities where they weren't so obvious? And two, where did kind of that hunger for those opportunities come from? That's a really, really good question. Um, and I think the way the word hunger is a really good way to describe it. I, I really wanted to get as much experience as possible because um, that's what I was recommended to do. That's what I was told to do in my coursework was the only way you learn is through multiple experiences. And that's a lesson we can apply in, in many areas of our life. Experience equals insight equals talent that you generate through your new insights. And so I was always on the search, I think is the best way to describe it. I was always looking at like the Mizzou mass emails that they send out with opportunities. I want to say I was on Handshake, <laughs> the um, professional connection website. I went to career fairs. I always would stick around if professors had opportunities. Um, you know, sometimes they would say things like, you know, see me after class about an internship or a program or, you know, a scholarship. And I was always one of those people that would stay after class. Um, so I think I just was always looking and always keeping a list. Um, you know, I think on like Google Docs of these of these opportunities. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the second part of your question was. Where do you think that drive came from in you? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I, I think I just recognized when I came to college that there was so much for me to learn and there was so much for me to experience. Um, and I wasn't quite sure at the time what I wanted to do professionally. And I think that part of my journey to discovering my talents and how they could be utilized in a professional environment came through trial and error. And one of the classic examples of this um, is I came to college thinking I would be a broadcast journalist. Yeah, I thought I'd be Barbara Walters. I was like, I'm going to be a broadcast journalist. I'm going to be on the morning show. It's going to be fantastic. And so I, you know, I was coming to college with a theater background and I thought that's probably the best way to utilize it is to combine my writing experience with my theater experience and be a journalist, a broadcast journalist. And so freshman semester, I, I did my search, I found an opportunity and I was broadcasting for MUTV channel 23. I think it's still a thing. I, I don't know. I, sh I must look it up, but I, um, I reached out to them and I said, Hey, you know, can I, can I, um, be a broadcaster here? And I did, 
um, like the Good Morning Mizzou show. And yes, some of my segments are still available online. I'm not going to link them. Um, but if you look hard enough, you will find them. Maybe I'll link them. They're kind of funny, actually. Um, and I learned very quickly <laughs> from that experience. I was not meant to be a broadcast journalist. Wait, what, what do you say? What made you think that? I think I realized that um, it required it required um, a lot of, I think, technical skills in that realm. And, and I think I just also recognized that um, the, my desire to perform would be better utilized in the comedy clubs because I was joining them around the same time. And so as I was going to MUTV 23 on Sunday evenings um, with my backpack full of you know binders and books, I was also integrating into the comedy world at Mizzou. And I said, oh, I, I think I like this storytelling medium better. I like being able to storytell and create characters versus storytelling to share news. And that's something eventually that I circled back with because now um, I think I kind of do a bit of both, but it was a really important moment to recognize that and to, to really recognize that I could I could look down a couple other journalism avenues, which I eventually would do. I considered documentary journalism. I considered convergence. I just went through the whole list and then I ended up in Stratcom. Mm -hmm. And I think Stratcom is such a big, you know, there's so many subcategories within there. So I feel like that's a journey on its own. Once you decide Stratcom, which is kind of advertising, uh, marketing, you still have to decide, you know, do I want to be a copywriter? Do I want to be an account manager, a researcher? Was there a huge process or did you kind of stumble on what you liked early on in that? That's a great question. I'm going to say that every time. That's a great question. Um, these are all great. So in the Stratcom world, um, for those who are unfamiliar, um, there is a curriculum that you take starting usually your junior year because the J school requires you to declare your interest area end of sophomore year. At that point, that's kind of your soft deadline for saying, okay, this is what I'm gonna pursue um, in higher, higher level classes. This is the silo I'm going to focus on. And so I declared STRATCOM um, end of sophomore year and junior year, the first series of courses that they have you take are intro to Stratcom or thereabouts, like an introductory course to Stratcom principles of um, advertising and um, intro to design and copywriting and then strategic communication research. And so those to this day are still some of my favorite courses that I ever took because they really allowed me to look at all of the different opportunities within the Stratcom umbrella. We had guest speakers that would come in to talk about their work. Um, and we were, you know, through the Missouri method, which is um, application-based learning, we were able to do projects and assignments that allowed us to explore the different advertising silos, whether that be design, copy, um, a little bit of video editing maybe, I can't remember, research, which ended up being 
really valuable to me in my in my work um, and PR and just got to experience that through the coursework. And we were taking them all at the same time. So we were learning the principles in one class, applying them elsewhere. It was awesome. It was such a good learning model. And um, that gave me the exposure to sort of discern where do I fit in this equation? And um, to answer your question, what really stuck out to me was account management and research, which I would end up doing both in tandem in my current role um, and kind of using both to become what I hope to eventually be is a strategist, which is sort of a hybrid of, I think, both of those worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So either way, it's kind of that, that leadership position. Um, yeah. But I want to touch back on something you said, just keep it at, at college for now, because I do want to get further into what you're doing now and what you plan to do further in the future. But you talk about Stratcom having such a great kind of intro program to give you a taste of everything. And I think, and not only that, but how to apply it in a professional environment. And I think that's kind of the thing that sticks out to me, like hearing you talk is, yes, you have all these creative passions, you like to write, you like to tell stories, you like to do comedy. Um, but you're considering it from the lens of how can I do this in a valuable way that will you know, as in a professional light that I can get paid for. And I don't think, I think that's very important. And I think people who kind of almost embrace this, what I would consider a myth of the starving artist, they're like, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, work as a server um, for 20 years and put my art in galleries whenever I can make it and keep auditioning. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I think it's very valuable to think of how can I use the creative skills, the artistic skills I'm learning now and utilize them at a professional light. And so I, I don't think that the art classes and the film classes do that as well as the way you describe Stratcom doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to consider. And I think that one of the, the really cool parts of, um, what I found in the journalism school and in the Stratcom school was everyone by and large was artistic in one way or another. And I think a lot of us gravitated towards it, um, the program because of our existing skill sets that we learned elsewhere through artistic means. So graphic designers, art directors, a lot of them were artists, right? Graphic artists, really talented, really just beautiful work. I, I simply don't know how they do it to this day, right? Um, and they, you know, they pursued advertising because they, they could tell stories through the imagery that they could create, right? And then you have people like me, former, I guess, and current theater kid who really thrived on telling stories and using the skills that I learned when I was writing, you know, comedy scripts or performing on an improv stage and bringing those skills to a brainstorming session for a client, thinking about how do we tell the story of this brand? What, what are the non-negotiables? What's the, the user experience from beginning to end? And, and taking the, the, the 
learned skill that I had to think on my feet and to really get in the minds of other people um, in order to make effective, compelling work is something I do believe I learned in theater. Yeah. Right? And so that was a long answer. No, yeah, yeah. And just to follow up on that, do you have something – uh, some type of advice you don't have to say it's advice just something to uh note about maybe people who do have this mindset of taking the more the longer the starving artist route who aren't jumping to advertising because they can see the storytelling opportunities in there they're like i'm just going to do pure narrative film i'm going to do you know kind of these pure artistic um careers even if they're not sustainable yeah. Yeah. So you mean like advice for them that they to, to consider advertising just to, or just or not even advertising, but just, you know, because I think of what I'm doing right now of, you know, I, I still want to make short films, but I'm going deeper into wedding videography and finding the freelance route. So do you have anything to kind of, I don't know, a, a note to maybe say it's not as bad as it it seems you're not, you know, working on the the dark side when you go to advertising? Yeah, well, I mean, I could talk about, I could, I I think really highly of the field that I'm in and that's why I'm in it and I love it. Um, And I believe it's in it so fully. And I think with any career, there's going to be um, maybe associations that you have with the profession. That's just the way humans work, right? So I think my advice to anybody who is considering any career path is to be open-minded and to do kind of circling back to the beginning, to be on the search, to always be on the search and to really take it all in um, because that is the way that you encounter opportunities that you might not have ever considered. And that is how you meet people that will make you reconsider the things that you once thought to be true about anything. And so I think being on the search, being open-minded, having those conversations, putting yourself in a position to have those conversations, which is, you know, showing up to networking events, hanging out, (laughs) talking to your professor at the end of class, sticking around, you know, taking those couple of minutes to put yourself in a position for success is I think the, the, the piece of advice that I would give anybody, but specifically those in college, because you have this entire community at your disposal. And if you don't utilize that, that's a missed opportunity, right? And so um, for creatives who you know, are not sure how to use their creative power, I think you can do that in a variety of ways. But I do think advertising as a profession lends very well because we are inherently creatives and storytellers and we are using our talents to build um, meaning and to leverage, leverage our skills to tell the stories of brands and to um, think strategically and, and use our, use our powers to do something incredible. I don't know how else to say it. And I, I feel like I'm on a soapbox, but I think for creatives, there are so many opportunities in this realm, but this is not the only realm that you could pursue. And I want to recognize that. And I think my punchline is be open to both, be open to anything really. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, that's a great that's a great answer for that. Uh, <laughs> so long again. <laughs> I want to kind of transition out of college with this last little question that kind of relates to it. So as you got near the end of college, um, we'll talk about kind of the last semester while you were still in school, that transition to be the mindset shift, I want to call it, to I'm going to go out into the real world. I got to leave college behind, leave kind of this almost bubble in a sense. I know you were doing so much work outside of um, school. You were taking up so many opportunities. But for a lot of people, including myself, it feels like a bubble, a little protective realm where I have all these opportunities with my classes, but they're classes and I'm paying to do them, not getting paid to do them. So I want to hear maybe about your mindset shift to be like, I'm ready to jump, to leap into the real world. And maybe if there was a decisive point, you could talk about that as well. Yeah. Where you made that mindset shift. Yes. So, um, I, I think that for, I think the big thing that I want to impart in answering this question is that I think it takes time. I think it's a gradual shift. It's not an immediate shift. And I was thinking it would be because I'm very much about deadlines and timelines. And I thought in May of last year when I was graduating, okay, cool, I'm just gonna wake up and I'm gonna be a working professional. But that's not how it works. I think it takes a little bit of time in terms of how to be ready for it or what made me feel ready for it. I think my job made a significant difference for me. I think that I, I was really fortunate to have been given this opportunity at all, but the timeline of getting it was also fantastic because um, it was midsummer. I was you know, processing that I had graduated, being a COVID grad nonetheless, which adds a whole other level of you know, lack of processing, confusion, lack of closure because we didn't have a graduation, right? And that was all jumbled together. And then suddenly, you know, I, I had this exquisite new thing to dedicate my, my time and my energy to. Um, and I, I was all in and I am all in, right? And so I think that my job was the catalyst for me because there was something bigger than me that I was entrusted to do. And I also made, you know, all of these fantastic relationships with my, my clients um, who are all at various levels of their careers, but most of them are not, you know, newly graduated from undergrad, right? And so I think working with people who are at different life stages also help with the adjustment, meeting, a, meeting people who are older. Because I think when you're in Mizzou, it's a hub of people your age. And I think when you graduate, one of the big disorienting moments is, oh, that's not, <laughs> not everyone I work with is going to be 23, you know, they're, and, and I, and that's beautiful. And they, and I, so I think for me, my job really did help with being ready, but I also want to mention that it is gradual, and I don't think that there was a specific moment where it hit me um, that I was I was in the new right. phase of my life. Yeah, and I wonder, because you mentioned kind of working with people of all ages, people older than you really helped. 
have you ever had a mentor or multiple mentors that have kind of given you advice about moving into the real world um, and kind of maybe a, a note of comfort or a piece of wisdom that really stuck out to you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I, I feel like there's so many in that, that have impacted me. Um, many that don't go by the, the term of mentor that were, you know, friends or coworkers from my past that kind of, you know, gave me insight then that I didn't realize was insight that I, that I'm now using as insight. So they might be like, wait, I, I didn't know I was a mentor. <laughs> um, I think, um, I'm trying to think if any, if there's any like specific advice. I have um, one person, well, a, a couple, but there's one in particular that comes to mind for this question. And she um, was my mentor at Mullen Lowe and out in Los Angeles when I was working on the Acura brand. And um, she's exquisite. She's amazing. And we're, we're very close and we still, you know, connect every month and do one-on-ones and just check in on each other. And she's a powerhouse. She owns like a press, a public relations company. She's, she's really cool. I could brag on her for a while. Um, but she always held me accountable for, um, believing that I deserve the things that I was getting. And I think that this is something that's huge in the creative world, uh, in the young professional world is this feeling of, you know, imposter syndrome and a little bit of how did I get here? You know, how do, you know, am I, am I good enough to be here? And I think a healthy dose of that is good because it's good to check yourself. It's good to recognize you don't know everything and that you have everything to learn. But I think it's also really important to honor the space that you take up in the room and also to recognize that you are more than capable of being where you are and you've been chosen for a reason. And so she always would remind me of that because I'm very hard on myself. I think that's probably what makes me good at my job, <laughs> probably, you know, Achilles heel as well. Um, but I'd be talking to her and she would always just check me and say, Hey, mm -mm. nope, you're, you're there for a reason. You're, you are an, a gift. You are an asset to whatever organization you're working with in the same way that they are to you. And I think that that respect for yourself and for the people you work with is so huge. Right. And so that wasn't a quote necessarily, not like a specific insight, but that was something that has continued to resonate with me that I now relate to my staff, to my employees, my team, um, to remind them when they're knee deep in an assignment and, you know, they might be overwhelmed. I just say, Hey, you matter. Yeah. I chose you for a reason. And I think that's a really important thing to say as a leader to your mm -hmm. team. Yeah. And now that we're kind of, we fully pushed out of college, um, I want to go a little bit more deep into networking because right now that's something that I just fascinates me, something that I want to get more into. And just from what I've learned talking to some other people, and I feel like I've gotten answers all over the board about networking with uh, one person telling me, you know, wait until you're in the location you want to live for a while before you even start. 
Um, another person said something along the lines of, you know, networking is more about making friends and working on projects with someone and not like going to a networking event and handing a business card and saying, I'll call you to when I have an opportunity. It's much more informal than that. And so I want to kind of hear your take on networking. Um, has it been a conscious process for you or has it always been, I'm working with clients and, oh, now I'm going to get coffee with this person that I worked with? Yeah. So um, <laughs> every question you ask me, I'm like, that was awesome. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to write that down to ask other people. Um, <laughs> I think, so for me, I will say like, I'm such an extrovert and I think I always have been. And I love meeting new people and, and, and asking them questions. And that's what brought me to journalism originally was, was the desire <laughs> to meet people and ask them questions. And so I think that my personality in general really loves networking because it applies both of those concepts very closely. Um, and I feel very comfortable doing it. But I think I really... I started the process of doing it when I was um, in college, for sure. When I was on Handshake, <laughs> I mean, I should get sponsored by Handshake. Um, and I was, um, you know, putting myself out there, going to career fairs. But I think now, um, I think that it it is both a subconscious process and a very conscious process, a very active process. And so I think I kind of do a hybrid of both. Um, one of the big kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, recommendations, I guess, to whoever's listening. Networking should be as authentic as possible, in my opinion. It should be a conversation, right? Um, and I think that there's this fear and intimidation surrounding it, that it's this chore, that this process of, oh, I have to, you know, put on a suit and act a certain way and give my elevator speech and I'm nervous and, oh, I'm like, my hands might be sweaty when they shake them. And all of that anxiety, I think, makes it this dreaded process rather than something that's organic and fun. And I think if done well, it's very fun because it, you're just meeting other people, right? And, and, you're, and you're just talking to them. And yes, it's professional, but at its core, you're meeting another human who might have an insight for you or might have a story for you that you can take with you. And I think removing this idea of I'm doing this to get a job. I'm doing this to get an internship. I'm doing this to advance. I think when we take that all away and we say, I'm doing this to learn, that really dispels a lot of the pressure. Um, it dispels this, this um, kind of deadline driven process. And it becomes more of a conversation when mm -hmm. you take the pressure and the outcome you want out of it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, with your, one of your, the people you consider a mentor having kind of a, a monthly check-in one-on-one, -on -one, do you have any groups? I mean, obviously you're leading your team, but do you have any groups unrelated to work that, but are still professional, whether it's like a Facebook group or something along those lines, something like a mastermind group, do you have anything like that where it's 
kind of a, a check-in and kind of helping each other out on a regular basis, whether it's monthly or, or not? That's a great question. Um, right now, no. The goal would be eventually to have one. Um, I think that it's an interesting time right now with COVID, right, being what it is, um, that it's tough to, you know, try and coordinate um, like an in-person meeting, right? And probably it's unsafe still to do that. Um, And I think we're kind of in this flux period as, as we're all, you know, getting our vaccinations kind of reintegrating into um, the world and and interacting with it. And so I've been sort of in a holding pattern where I really haven't done that, Um, but I I would eventually love to. And I would also love to even like lead one. One of my big takeaways from this conversation is I, I love talking to college students about this because I just was a college student. And a lot of my team are undergrad, graduate students, my staff. And I just feel like there's a lot to talk about that doesn't get mentioned. Um, And so I would like to be in one and I would also love to assist with one. (laughs) The short is the condensed answer. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you think the things are that don't get mentioned to undergrads with stuff we already, already covered or anything that we didn't mention? I think everything we covered, right? So, you know, um, being open, being inquisitive, being on the search, right? And I think also being, and then I think applying that principle, right, to what we what we mentioned with networking, taking away the pressure of an outcome and just being there to learn um, is huge. I think in addition to that um i'm trying to think if i have anything else you can always touch back on that a little bit later if you want to yeah i well honestly i think it's more that we get told to be open and we get told to put ourselves out there but we're not necessarily told how which and and how is huge to be able to set up a plan and so i think it would be really helpful to you know, students and even to me to have that, that toolkit of, okay, in action, what does this mean? What do you mean by that? What are some steps I can take to do that? And I think that that, um, that is something that would be beneficial um, for programs to teach and answer, but I think it's a very complicated answer and I understand why, why they're probably working on it. It just takes a bit to, to formulate how that would look, you know, in an academic setting. Yeah. And I'm just curious, do you, for your job, do you hire people? Like, do you? Okay. So (laughs) I wonder, and I feel like you could probably have some great insight about this when it comes to hiring someone. And I feel like this is such a cliche thing to ask, like, Oh, what do you look for in a good candidate? I want to know what's the personality you look for unrelated of their qualifications and experience. Yeah. Um, Oh my! I think, in a, you said in addition to personality and experience, or I want to know more about the personality and less about like, oh, they checked these boxes off because they worked at an internship for one year, yeah. and like have these blank, 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 and kind of finish that. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that it just, it, part of this just depends on the nature of the position that I'm hiring for. Right. And I think that I, what I do before I conduct interviews and talk with prospective candidates is say, what does this role involve? What skills does this role involve? Um, and what are the, the current dynamics of our team to kind of identify what, what works? But then I also go in with an open mind. I think that that's, that's huge, right? And so one of the things I was told in an agency back at, back at my old agency, I write them often, you can tell they had a huge impact on me. And it was either told to me or I noticed it is that you get in, you get an interview because of your qualifications. You get in an interview because there, something about your resume is interesting um, or you, you have the skill set, or you have the training, right? But I think what sets apart candidates from, from being considered to being hired is that, is the potential that the recruiter sees in them. And that can either be their personality, it can be an insight that they share in the interview about their family, about their background, um, or even a gut feeling. I, I, it's, it, can, it can range, but I think there, there's this wow factor um, that I always see or feel where I know I need them on my team. And then I make that decision. And so the skill set gets you in, but I think, I think on a case by case basis, there's always something else that I pick up. And oftentimes it is personality because advertising is client facing. It is dynamic. It is creative. I want people who um, who do the job very well, but also are cool, you know, are interesting, are fun, like that, at least to, to work well with. And I think oftentimes the way that we identify who's going to work well with us are people that we get along with from the get-go or have a good connection with. And so I don't think personality is everything. And I also don't think that it's representative in a first interview, which is a big pitfall of the interview process is making a, a judgment about somebody after one interaction, but I think it is important um, to the process. I don't know if that made, I don't know if that. No, 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 that question. definitely, that definitely touches on it. I think what I was kind of hinting at is when I mentioned before about, you know, film and kind of those art majors, at least from my perspective, not being as prepared for the, the real world, the, the professional world. Um, I think one thing that I realized when I talked to some of the teachers about it is that the skills, like let's say film for instance, to know how to use a camera, to know the basics, to know how to operate a lot of the equipment is not too difficult. And I think um, that's like anyone can learn enough to operate a camera and to film something. And I think, you know, if you have so many candidates, a lot of people are skilled at the same level or there's like very little distinctions. So I think you mentioned personality being the other big thing that kind of helps make people stand apart. But I wonder, is there anything kind of non-classic experience that could help them set set themselves apart um you know not just like another internship at the big 
agency in, in Colombia. It's like, no, they did a certain project on their own. They showed initiative somehow, some way, and that's what caught your attention. Have you ever had cases like that? Yeah, I honestly, and I think I left this out of my answer. So thank you. The other thing is passion. The one of the things I really look for, I look for people who are so excited <laughs> about what they're doing and are so excited to tell me about it, are so excited to hear about the projects. I love when people light up because that is so important in the work that we do, especially in public health. You must be passionate. You must believe in it and be so excited to be there um, because these are important and valuable projects, right? And so passion is huge. Um, as for, you know, people with, I guess, like non, not non-traditional, but non, um, uh, what professional non, uh, like job related experiences, or at least classically tied job related experiences. I honestly, I'm, I also take into consideration, like looking at your resume, have you worked in a restaurant? Have you worked in retail? Have you, um, worked at a swimming pool. Like if you're, have you been, um, public facing, but I use restaurant as the first example, because I think that a lot of life skills and a lot of people skills and a lot of, um, you know, ability to interact in a high paced environment does come from experiences like that, that you learn, you know, while we're like assembling someone's order, you learn a lot about people. And, and I worked in a restaurant and I think that really helped me. And so I, I, I think it depends on what you're applying for, but I would say that um, if you can find a way to like eloquently tie in a previous experience that we wouldn't necessarily connect to advertising, that's amazing to me. Like if you can find a way to talk about how your time in a restaurant um, or in a retail store, working in a shoe shop, what that taught you or a pivotal moment in that, in, in that job that, directs, that directly translates to what you're offering to the table now, very cool. And I think that that, to answer your question, don't shy away from that. But I think the important part is making that direct connection. Like it needs to be more than, yeah, I made sandwiches. It's like, okay, what did you learn when you were doing that, right? And, and that is the kind of the differentiating factor of leaving it on your resume or taking it off is what can I say about that experience that ties to what I want now in my yeah. life? Yeah, and kind of the direct opposite of that question would be if I'm looking at you, you're in this leadership position, what does continued education look like to you? Is it formal? Are you reading books? Are you going to conferences? Or is it just stuff you're picking up as you're working? Oh, I love this question because I learn something new every day. And I think that that, oh, wow. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts. I think that one of the misconceptions about leaving college and going into the workforce is that you're done learning or you're done being in school. And in the traditional sense, yes, you're not studying for quizzes and exams, but you kind of are because you're studying your job to do a good job 
which would, you know, you're not being graded, but you're grading yourself, your, your supervisor is grading you, your clients are grading you, you're held accountable um, for, for real high stake deliverables and outcomes, right? So I think that was my big epiphany when I graduated was how much I was going to continue to learn and be a student in my job. Um, and I think being in the public health realm, so I work with, um, and I don't know, if we, we kind of mentioned at the beginning, but I work with state and federal healthcare grant projects. I manage um, several projects with different initiatives and different client teams. And um, I did, had no background in public health prior. So for me, it was a big learning curve to learn the acronyms, to learn what each thing means, and also to understand how grant funding works, which is an ongoing process, understanding um, grant proposals, understanding how to write contracts, um, like formal agreements for work. Um, I, I think that for me this year has been nothing but learning. And I think a lot of the learning I've done is just being on the ground every day, being in calls. Oftentimes, well, I always take notes, but oftentimes I'll put in the margins, like look this up later, <laughs> or, you know, um, like I'll, I'll have a little question mark so that I can go follow up and, 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 and understand it and then note it for next time. And so I think that that's been huge. Um, do you, I'm curious, like, do you keep up to date with any marketing books or blogs or videos, just stuff that unrelated to your work, mm -hmm. but that is just like general, yeah. the industry? Yes. So, um, oh my goodness, this is so classic advertiser, but I, I, I love following, um, a lot of the advertising publications. One that like immediate com immediately comes to mind is ad age. Um, and, they will publish um, like new brand campaigns, new launches, um, which is so fun to me. I eat it up. I love whenever a brand launches a new campaign and I'll, I'll like kind of dis disseminate it and kind of critique it on my own. If there's a new product launch, I'm always like, how are they leveraging that on social? <laughs> so because I think like a strategist, I think in that way, I'm always on the hunt looking for new information, um, whether that be through advertising publications or even in, you know, in the news, in the new, you know, New York Times or big, big news affiliates. Um, and a big way to access that information, I think, is on LinkedIn um, because it, it is a platform where a lot of companies are sharing articles, they're sharing this information, press releases. So, um, yes, in short, yes. And LinkedIn is a great way to stay up to date on that information. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious you, when you say like kind of critiquing some of the campaigns you see in your head, when it comes to social media, we can take a specific product, but how do you kind of leverage something on social media from what you've learned? And obviously kind of the health campaigns that you're doing are different than someone like trying to sell cereal. You know, it's two different markets and your goals are definitely different because you're not having anyone buy anything. 
But because you're so brand awareness oriented, because there is no thing to sell, you're just trying to get a message out there. How do you leverage that on social media? And you can use a specific campaign instead of like general. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the big things that you mentioned too is they are different markets. And I think that's a contrast that you have to make at the very beginning um, to recognize what, what it is that you're doing. And I think that it also depends on the client I'm working on because they all have different target audiences, right? And we establish that kind of from the get-go, who we want this to reach, who those people are, and really understanding them. And then once we've established what that is, then we, we decide on a strategic plan for the execution, which is so much fun. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. And... Um, on social, I think we've had an interesting situation because I got this position after COVID hit, right? And so public health has become, has, has always been extremely relevant and a buzzword, but I think people's focus on it has really increased as a result of the pandemic. And so I often look to big organizations to see how they're talking about projects what language they're using, what visuals they're using, what platforms are they on? Because that will be an insight to me in terms of what I can, what I can um, do to approach each of my strategic plans. I see what else has been done primarily. Um, and then also take it with a grain of salt, adjust for the target audience I'm trying to reach and then kind of go from there. Um, but in terms of like a specific example, I think it's an ongoing kind of decision, right? Um, and I think social media is such a unique, multifaceted platform. There's so many things you can do. And so in the next year, that's a question I'm going to continue to ask myself as I work on my projects and as these outlets continue to evolve and update, right? You know, if you think about TikTok, um, I, I don't know how old it is for three years old. It's very young. It's a very young site. Um, it's super popular and, and trending like crazy. Everyone's on TikTok or not everyone, but a lot of people are on TikTok. Who knows in the next year, if a new platform is going to take the stage and command that attention. So I think the fun thing about working in advertising and in social is you have to constantly be ready for changes and adjustments. Um, and that is, I think, very fun because nothing is set in stone and nothing is permanent. And mm. that creates a very dynamic um, yeah. job for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, I'll, I'll press a little bit harder and then we can move on to another topic. But ignoring TikTok, because I feel like that one, I don't really know it too well and I don't really know how they're, they're paid stuff works. So in other uh, platforms, let's say LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, maybe Twitter, um, how do you, do you always go for kind of an organic route when you're growing up someone's brand campaign or the paid route or sometimes in the middle, a hybrid version? Because I'm, I'm more curious about the organic route. 
of you growing. mean like yeah just creating posts mm-hmm. yeah um I would say I'm trying to think of I'm evaluating what I'm currently doing and thinking about like a good example um I like organic content quite a bit because it's extremely accessible um it's it's easy to do not easy I don't want to undermine it but it's it's you're capable of doing it I think with a little bit of planning um but I also think that it's a great it's a very um financially savvy medium because it costs nothing to post a Facebook post or a Twitter post or an Instagram. So I think as much as possible, it's important to leverage opportunities that are free um, because there are so many and they are effective. I think the harder part of that equation is growing a following organically. And I think that takes a really long time, um, depending on the account you're working on, depending on the goals that you have. So it's hard to answer. I know I'm so vague. It's hard to answer specifically because it just depends on the project. Like there's so many questions that I have to answer before I get to that spot where I'm deciding on the social media channel or channels. Um, but yeah, I, it, it really depends. And that's what makes it so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. to circle back. I love it. Yeah. Um, we're getting closer, closer to the end. Um, and we'll wrap up soon. But as we're nearing the end, I want to transition to life outside of what you're doing with work. And um, I want to hear a little bit about, you know, I know that you are working from home right now, you're working remotely. So I wonder if you could kind of talk a little bit about that and talk about living or like where, where you live while you work. Um, cause I know last time we talked on the phone, it was about, there's so many remote opportunities coming up for jobs, especially for kind of creatives, video people going into advertising, you have more freedom to choose where you want to live. So I kind of want to hear you touch on that from your own experience and maybe any advice you could share about that. Yeah, advice about remote work primarily. Yeah, and kind of deciding where you want to go after college. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So, um, So with remote work, I think the big lesson that I've learned so far is creating a routine for yourself, creating a environment for yourself that is your designated workspace. Um, I think having a schedule throughout your day um, and, and breaking off chunks of time has been really effective, especially for me as I'm working on multiple projects to make sure that each, each um cup is poured into each day and make sure I'm, I'm staying on top of each one. Um, and I think in terms of the translating into the physical space I'm in, creating that environment is really important. Um, and then also creating an environment for yourself when you're not working. And I think that, I think that's a harder question to answer. I'm very, um, what's the word? Hardworking is, is maybe the wrong word and sounds 
a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, I, I tend to be very all in with my work. And I think one of the challenges to working from home is recognizing, okay, when do I take a break? When do I sign off for the evening? And then for me, because I'm in like a leadership position, I am the boss, I'm running, I'm kind of running the ship, um, recognizing when I sign off. And I think creating those boundaries is really, really important for any field because you are not going to do your best work if you don't take a break. Nobody expects you to be working around the clock. That is only self-applied pressure. And for me, that was self-applied pressure, right? And I think the boundaries are huge. So recognizing, okay, what, what, what schedule works for me? Do I need to wake up super early today and pound out eight hours of work? Do I want to work in bursts and do a project in the evening? And I think that that really is a good question to answer and a good thing to plan going into each week. And I also think having a set time each day where you're like, that's the last email, closing the laptop is a really, really important thing to do um, to, to, to be the best you can be. You need rest. So I was on my soapbox, but I think boundaries are huge. Um, what was the other Oh, um, figuring out where you want to live. I think that's just a, oh, that's such a good question. Um, and honestly, like, I think right now I'm, I'm still sort of deciding what that's going to look like um, in the long term. Um, and, and so I think I was fortunate that I've lived in a lot of places in this country. I grew up in Connecticut. I lived in Arkansas. I went to school in Missouri. I've lived in California and I've lived in Spain. Um, I was just fortunate that I lived in a lot of places. So by the time that I was graduating, I already had a good understanding of the East, West Coast, South, Midwest, and one international location um, that I could kind of use to discern. But I think any advice I would give to a, a, an undergrad or a, a college student who's about to make that decision, back to the very beginning of our conversation, be open be open, talk to a lot of people about this, ask them about where they live, ask them why they live there, you know, ask them um, what they wish was better about where they live. Everyone's going to have an answer for that. I think that talking to people about this is so important because you're not going to get insight any other way other than living there, which if you have the funds, by all means, go. Um, I think that's really, really important. Another thing I wanted to plug, because this is so applicable, a lot of cities now, and well, maybe not a lot, a couple, are doing incentive programs for people to move there. Um, and there's one for West Virginia, there's one for Tulsa, and they offer you, I want to say like $10,000 to live in that city for a year, and you can put that towards rent. Uh, they have a free workspace um, available. They have networking opportunities and events for you to meet other young professionals. And this is all for people with remote jobs. So I think we're living in a time now where there's so much freedom in the physical location. And I think people realize from the pandemic that you can work from home. You can work from anywhere. And for people who are emerging into the workforce, utilize that you know, get a job and, and have it be remote and then go, go explore.
you know, um, in a sustainable way. I think it's really, we're living in a really cool time where you can live anywhere mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. Well, cause I know that you're living back at home right now mm-hmm. and I wonder, and I'm kind of thinking of one of my roommates who I know has told me this before where his mindset is, you know, he wants to find a, a good job, a job that he likes, but his true, true goal is to be never have to move back home. Um, you know, at all. And not because he doesn't like his family. He just wants to be, have that independence right away. And I'm sure he's not alone in that realm. And I think I'm kind of 50-50. But when you kind of entered college and were kind of thinking about career stuff, had you always, and obviously the pandemic is putting a big, like, weird spin on this, but had you always kind of thought, you know, I'll move back home for a, a year or so and kind of get my footing Honestly, no. <laughs> Honestly, no. Um, and I think, I, I think probably for a couple, I mean, I've always been very independent. I'm a middle child. I kind of just did my own thing. Um, and I love my family, but neither they nor I expected me to move home. Um, and I think that one of the big takeaways I've learned from this year is be open to that y'all like it's it's not that long even if it's a couple months it's so nice to get built in time with your family and I think it depends obviously on the situation that you're in and you know definitely consider that but this is precious time and you know for people like me who I plan to live in a lot of places and do a lot of things it's nice to have this moment in my life where time is standing still and I'm able to have like these really wonderful um, moments with with my parents and with my sister that I don't know I would have gotten otherwise right and also from a financial standpoint it's really nice to save money you're gonna you're gonna need it like not need it like you're hurting if you don't have it but whenever there's an opportunity to save some money in the process I highly recommend doing that yeah yeah and so I I know the episode to release before this, which I still have to record, is going to be all about kind of personal finance and stuff that people don't want to think about, but oh it's so goodness. important. Um, but and while we're on the topic of like doing stuff that you never thought you would do, but now you're like, it's really not that bad, and there's so much uh, good stuff to it. The last thing I want to kind of touch on, again from our our, our conversation from a while back, is I remember you telling me as much as you love comedy, um, you want to do it, but you don't want to have to like turn it into a career and make it so that the only way you can enjoy it is if you're successful in monetary terms. And so I wonder if you could touch on that. Um, and it doesn't have to just be for comedy, you know, kind of these very abstract, so much fun, creative routes, is there still kind of benefit in doing them, even if there's no money, even if you're not making a career out of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that yes, (laughs) affirmative. Yes. There is benefit to doing comedy or any creative outlet um, as a hobby, as a side 
as a side project, right? Where you're not using it as your source of income. I think absolutely. And I think that for many that that is sort of the reality, you know, because it's such a competitive industry. Um, I think that for me at this point in my life, and this can definitely change, I'm very, you know, um, I'm all in into the work that I'm doing in the public health realm. And I've really um, been captivated by it and, and passioned by it, I've considered graduate programs for it, right? Which is so cool. I think that my openness to taking that on and to being passionate about it allowed me to be in this position. And I think that um, my advice with all of this is once again, to be open to other things that you would not have considered before, right? So when I was in undergrad, there was a time where I was like, I'm going to be on SNL, right? And I'm just be, which I, I don't know if they know that, but I'll be on SNL apparently. And so I was like, yeah, Lauren Michaels, he'll want me um, to join the team. It'll be great. That's the casting director. Um, and I was really, I was really impassioned by comedy and you know, thought that that was it. And I think if I had stuck to that so rigidly and not considered these opportunities, I would have missed out on them. And so I think as a creative, it is a hard balance of, I want to do this all the time and put everything into it. And then also oh, this is competitive, this is hard. And so I think that's a decision each person has to make. But for me, I think now what, what I like about having comedy as my hobby is that I'm never stressed by it. I'm not, you know, it's not my source of income. It can be something I love without being um, something that I rely on in such a like intense, concrete way. And I think back to that pressure, when you take the pressure off of something, you tend to enjoy it more. Um, and I don't want to speak for everyone because it's, it's just different depending on the case. But for me personally, I like that I can go to comedy and have that be something that's just always there. Um, and the only outcome that I'm getting out of it is joy. I'm not trying to make money. I'm not trying to grow a brand. It's just there for me and allows me to be good at my job because I'm tr using a creative part of my brain. So in a way it's helping me in my career, but not as my sole career. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the reason I brought it up is because I think from my perspective, you know, and I had that same mentality that you said with like wanting to be on SNL. I feel like I had something similar to, you know, I want to be a stand-up comedian and then, oh, I want to have a feature film. And though, yeah, those things are so competitive that the joy could easily be sapped out of it on the path to, you know, trying to make it big. And I think what I hear from what you're saying is there was no... Uh, okay, I'm giving this up. It's a sad day. It was like, you were open, you found different opportunities, not better or worse, you found different opportunities that were sustainable in the sense of you can make money doing them. 
and you were able to maintain doing the fun, the fun acting, the fun improv. And there was yeah. no giving up anything. Um, no. It was just a different route and you're still doing the thing that you, you loved originally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kara, as we get to the, the very end of this, I like to end the podcast with one simple or not so simple question. What at this moment in your life are you intensely curious about? Oh, oh no. See, I'm a researcher, so this is a very hard question to answer. Everything? No. Um, mm. Oh, wow. I think I'm really curious about the, the long-term impact both psychology psychologically and um from like a sociological lens of the covid pandemic and how the world is going to re-engage as a result and how it's going to impact everything that we do <laughs> i think that's my big question i'm laughing answer. because that's such <laughs> that that's such a um a hard thing to define but i'm just really i'm curious about people in general and about their behaviors. And I think that this event, it's not event because it's ongoing, but this pandemic has permanently changed the way that we view the world. And I'm, I'm just so curious to see what that means for us Yeah, as yep. a community. Mm, that's so. such a good answer. Well, Kara, uh, is there anything that you would like to plug, link? Um, I, I know, and I can cut this part out if you're not, but Aren't you starting up a podcast? Is that going to happen? Um, yeah, we, uh, so I am, I am, I'm, I'm giggling cause I'm on a podcast and I'm yes. So, um, I will be starting up a podcast for one of my healthcare grant, uh, clients here soon. We don't have, I don't have enough detail to be able to share right now, but, um, I'll have to circle back in the future once that happens and give you more details about okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be sure to obviously link your Instagram, be sure to kind of share your, your job so people can see what you're doing, the projects mm -hmm. you've worked on. And Kara, thank you so much for coming on. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.